How do you do? Mr. Brian Peters feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast, gravely amusing, without just a word of friendly warning. We are about to unfold an episode from the mind of Brian Peters, a fan of pop culture who sought to create a podcast after his own image, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest podcasts ever listened to. It deals with two great fandoms of pop culture, humor, and horror. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such strain, now's your chance to... Well, we warned you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the season finale of Gravely Amusing, the only horror podcast that is sending a petition to Washington that should be illegal to put up Christmas decorations in retail stores and at your home before Black Friday. And if you're going to play Christmas music, play it right. Don't play Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas, and definitely don't play a cover of the song. I mean, what the hell? But anywho, guys, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, Gravely Musing is going to take a few months off, except for maybe a Godzilla episode here and there. Um, I'll probably do an episode if a horror film impresses me, but I'm going to put some focus on another podcast, BP and the Finch, which is my superhero sci-fi and nostalgia podcast that I do with my bud Jeray. And it's just important to spend time with family. So speaking of family, I have with me again my brother in horror, mainly because I couldn't find anybody to replace him. I couldn't find Vincent Price or really anybody better. But here tonight is my buddy uh, Tyler from the Krypton Report. Uh, you can find him on uh, X at Krypton Report, Instagram at Krypton Report, Facebook, basically anything. Uh, he's here today guesting on this podcast. And in his off time, uh, you can probably find him in the arms of his wife sucking his thumb because the world is a scary place. Tyler, what's up, man? You excited for Thanksgiving? I am. Um, a lot of times because the older I get, I realize I like Thanksgiving more because there's no pressure, really. I mean, my mother-in-law makes pressure for herself, but <clears throat> sure. <clears throat> the idea of just taking a moment to pause with people that you care about and have a meal, you know, you're not buying gifts or you're not obligated for certain things. <clears throat> it makes me happy. So... See, I, as long as my wife's cooking, I'm happy. That's what it's about. She's been doing this uh, cranberry sauce with orange zest thing, and I never ate cranberry Ooh. sauce before in my life. Cranberry. But then like two, three years ago, she just started this up and poured it on some turkey and said, eat it. And <laughs> eat oh my gosh, my whole life changed. It's really the only thing I have going for me in my whole life every year. Just to make this meal and be good. Please, please don't be like a Ross Geller tomorrow. <laughs> my no, sandwich. My sandwich. I might uh, put on some stressy pants, though. 
Thanksgiving pains. <laughs> but Thanksgiving is all about coming together. And that's what this evening's finale I wanted to be about. About coming together. Like family coming together. Our family of monsters. Dun, dun, dun. Like a monster mash. Touch that touch. So. The whole season, I spoke about Universal Monsters and the early days of horror with some specials in there for slashers. Mm-hmm. But the hardest soul of basically what I was doing and trying to do was talk about the Universal Monsters. You know, Frankenstein, The Bride, Wolfman, Dracula, The Mummy, Tyler's Mummy, The Invisible Man. That's you know, all of them. right there. Uh, and in film history, there are only a handful of films have had all the monsters in them. So tonight we're going to discuss them. Um, there is one I missed that was called The Creeps. Um, hmm. And I forgot all about it, but as I was doing research, it pulled up. And um, it seemed like a weird B-movie that might have been in Europe. Sounds but, like it. But it was a weird one. So... We're going to talk about the best of the best, what I feel are the top three, not necessarily in the top three order, in the chronological order, of course. Um, but we're, you know, we'll, we'll get into it and we'll end our thoughts on it because Tyler and I are very passionate about a shared monster universe, a dark universe, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we were very brokenhearted when the dark universe didn't come to light. Um, and we've had ideas back and forth of like things we would do. And tonight I'm going to share a pitch, a pitch for what I feel could really bring things back. And, uh, copyright Brian Peters, man, child productions, 2023. It's my idea. Take it. And you die. Hmm. All right. All right. Let's, Let's get it. into it. Cause I think you're gonna love this idea. I'm really excited about. It. Okay. So first up, is one of the best. Okay. But I think the next one after this we'll talk about is the very best. But the original best, without a doubt, the best for a little while. And I just I just I just said best a lot. That's cool. I did. Best but the, the, best but the, the first best. best. Sure. The first best. House of Frankenstein. Hmm. Okay. Okay. No, dude. House of Dracula. Hmm. I always get those backwards. One of them was okay, and one was not good. No, man, we didn't talk about those movies. Those movies suck, dude. <laughs> I'm about to say, <laughs> we'll talk about them, but uh, I watched those back-to-back, and I realized you probably could edit them together and make one good movie out of it. Um, good. But there, are some, good. But, okay, but there are some elements in there that are horrible and trash. Oh, the so best good. part, best part, not going to lie, my boy Lon Chaney. Lon Chaney. It's all I mean, about long. I mean, we've talked about this before. He is the basically the universal monsters creation, and he's the only actor to play that creation character, originate it, and play it multiple times. Multiple times. The RDJ, if you will. The RDJ of the early <laughs> universal universe. Hmm. Is he R- Ooh, is he RDJ or is he Chris Hemsworth? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. No, the RDJ would be like Dracula. Right. And uh, Hemsworth like has that, like he's been in a lot. He pops in. He's always great. And he's versatile. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it would be. 
the Chris hmm. Hemsworth and stuff. I can see that. Huh. <laughs> Stay tuned forward. for our essay on the Marvel Cinematic Universe versus the Monster Cinematic Universe, and we can <laughs> pair the monsters to the Avengers. <laughs> and, then, and then you get it does work better for Thor because you get you get like like the first movie is really good, mm-hmm. and then and like and it was a test for something new. You t- dude, you're totally right. And then we get him in these other movies. He has the best character arc, Thor yep. and whatever, yep. and 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 Wolfman have the best character arcs. And then we see like just other movies just kind of fall apart and inconsistencies. Mm-hmm. Inconsistency is a big one. Inconsistency is definitely because because they like kind of like cure him, so to speak, and like. I, like I said, I always get House of Frankenstein and House of Dracula backwards. I, 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 I blend them in my brain. Which one's which? <laughs> no, I'm with you. Like I couldn't even tell you right now which which stories, which the, the, the humpback in one. There's and like, and Lon Chaney has a he has a mustache in one and not the other. One he gets shot by a silver bullet. One he yeah, uh, it's, he's supposedly cured. He but cured. Whatever. So I don't know. Whatever. But we're talking about. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That's the best, man. How we love this film. Can you remember the first time you saw this film? Uh, not exactly. Um, but I can give you a roundabout when I saw it. I was in third grade because um we bought it from Suncoast. My mom bought it. Um, My ordered- story involves Suncoast too with this movie because for Christmas right before then. We're right around then. I just remember my brother and I really were interested in the Universal Monsters when we watched them. Mm-hmm. And my mom didn't really like like the regular Dracula. My dad did. Um, but she liked the Abbott Costello one. So I remember I had a VHS of the Wolfman. My brother had Frankenstein. And then my mom went to Suncoast and ordered and got the Abbott Costello one to show us. She bought that one and hold that ghost. Mm. So those were two that like she supported and had, and like I said, it's it's right around like third grade ish, um, so like eight nine somewhere in there. Um, so, so yeah. So when I was a kid growing up, uh, one of my childhood friends, um, well, going to church, there was there was a dude that was kind of like, kind of like I am now, like the Uncle Brian, you know, but. There's there's a dude we went to church church with named Archie, um, who I'm going to try to see uh, next weekend. But Archie uh, has a son named Danny, or has a son named Danny, and Danny was one of my very good friends. Danny was a big comic book nerd and artist. I haven't talked to to Danny since we graduated. I would love to talk to Danny again someday. Um, But Archie, I would just hang out with Archie and Danny. We would go to Comic-Cons together, and... Archie and I would just talk about horror movies. Danny and I would talk about comic books. Archie was like very silver age. Um, and we would go into Suncoast together and just like look at for movies. And there was always this like one guy. Um, I guess he, you know, he would be like modern day. I guess you would probably call autistic. Mm. Um, but this guy was always in there and he would always go up to Archie and say, you want a good movie, buddy? Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. And he would just hang around the mall and he would always say that. Mm. And I seriously didn't watch the movie for the first time until maybe seven years ago. Oh, wow. And all that time, I never, I never watched it. I, I, I either couldn't find a copy or, or, or whatever. Um, 
But watching it for the first time a couple of years ago, I was like, dang, this movie is awesome. This movie's great. That I will say that that movie really paired with the first Wolfman really informed my idea of who Larry Talbot as the Wolfman is. Yeah. I think especially yeah. in Abbott and Costello. Well, so this is actually loosely based on original scripts, which was Wolfman versus Dracula or Dracula versus the Wolfman. Um, just loosely. But so for, for our listeners, you're probably wondering who the heck are Abbott and Costello. So in the early 1900s, uh, comedy was very different. Uh, well, it wasn't so different as it is today, but some things were different. There, there were a lot of physical comedians like the Three Stooges who slapped each other around for laughs. And there were comedy duos. Now, in a usual comedy duo, there would be the funny man Brian. and the straight man. Me. You're correct. You're absolutely correct. The straight man tends to be more intelligent. And feeds the jokes to the funny man. The funny man uh, is more of a physical comedian, is a little dim-witted, and very lovable. So think Chris Farley and David Spade and Tommy Boy. Yeah. That'd be more recent. Or uh, John Candy and Steve Martin and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Usually, the straight man tends to be thin, and the funny guy's fat, which is serious fat shaming. But <laughs> I mean, I mean, it is. I mean, it was kind of like... Uh... I, I rewatched recently just in the background uh, accepted where you have Jonah Hill in his first like major role with um, why am I drawing a blank all of a sudden Justin sure Long. You mean super bad? Huh? Sure. You don't mean super bad? No, Justin Long and Jonah Hill when they did uh, accepted. Jonah like, Hill wasn't accepted. And like he was really that's when he first started. He was really large in that. And then he lost some weight in when he did super bad, you know. Um, and then of course he lost more weight as time went on. But yeah, I mean it's it's Laurel and Hardy, you know, Laurel very Hardy. very similar. <clears throat> uh, Stan Stan and Ollie. Yeah, yeah, Laurel and Stan and Ollie. Yes. So if Tyler and I were a comedy duo, which we I'd are. be the funny guy. If you just hang out with us, <laughs> you can just sit with that, <laughs> and he'd be the straight man because he's smarter. And I'm more lovable and funnier than him, and I'm fatter. And comedy duos <laughs> do still exist, uh, but they're just not as mainstream, I guess. I, I guess a modern day one would, could probably be Kevin Hart and The Rock. I mean, that one works. It's just you know the straight man is more of The Rock, but yeah. it it, it kind of subverts the the tropes. Which, but it is still a comedy duo. Yeah. Or I'm trying to. Think. Yeah, that's probably the closest one I can think of that. Where the rock's a straight man and Kevin Hart's kind of the funny guy. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. but once again, the funny one has some sort of physical difference, major physical difference than the quote unquote. Uh, yeah. Like me, um, I'm the fat guy, you know, you know, so. yeah, it works. Um, So right before this movie was made, Abba and Costello were not doing well. Mm -mm. Uh, right before this film, they had their radio show canceled. Like right before this movie, this film came out. Film came out. Uh, they were few and hard. That's why, like, for multiple reasons of how I've seen through history and stuff, and just personal experience, I think it's I think it's very hard to go into business with your family or friends because 
because of usually usually two things. Money. When money is involved, people change. Yeah. And, two, and two, how creative the minds are of the people. Because if you have two creative minds, two good creative minds, one could either take over most of the creativity, <laughs> say that they create everything, or vice versa. That's why I'm always fascinated by when you see movies directed by like a, a duo. Yes. Like like Radio Silence, you know, like the guys who made the two recent screen movies, like they're directing duo and stuff like that. I'm always more I'm fascinated by that. Like I want to see their create their working process. Like how that works with two directors. Like the Cohen brothers always were together. Um well I, I think I think in order for two creative minds to work together, one has like they have to decide who's going to be the chief and who's going to be the Indian in certain things. Like mm. they have to, because, could and they be, have to be. know the other one's strengths and weaknesses. The Just better. like, I think the Wachowskis work better as a duo than as singles talking about you matrix four. Um, but we, Oh, another week with a uh, comedy duo, um, Martin and Lewis. And there you have the extremely handsome and talented yeah. Dean Martin then you have the physical comedy awkwardness, you know, short, thin Jerry Lewis. So you still have yeah. differences. Yeah, totally right. That's kind of like your rocking Kevin Hart thing right there. Kevin Hart, um, Jackie Chan and uh, Chris Tucker. Hmm. Jackie Chan and anybody, like Jackie Chan. Chan. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Wilson and Jackie Chan. You know, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, Abin Costello. So Abbott has his name first on a lot of things. And usually the straight man was valued more in comedy duos at that time. So his name would go first. He would get paid 60% while Costello would only get paid 40%. So mm. Costello pressed on this for the name change because he felt that he was contributing more. And it came 50-50 for a while. But Universal basically said that we're not going to change the names because you are marketed as Abbott Costello. We're not going to flip it. And like, we're not going to do this, but eventually as their partnership went on, um, Costello started getting paid 60% and Abbott started getting paid 40 mm. money. It's all, all that money. And there's also a dispute over a maid. Ooh. See, Costello fired a maid and Abbott, did had had no issue with her and actually hired her, so it made Costello look like this huge jerk, like to this maid and just like in the public. So he didn't appreciate it. Just really weird strain and just stuff on them. I, I mean, you know what? Like I always think about like what was the message of Josie and the Pussycats the movie? You like I love that movie from the early two thousands with Rachel Lee Cook, where it oh, proves that point where oh, probably we have to watch it. You know, they say talk about being a band first or friends first, a band second, but it, it talks exactly about like that as they rise and they get popular and sometimes someone gets singled out or becomes the more that like how that splits. And yeah, I think I think when you're starting out and you're broke and you're working together and to succeed, like yeah, it's 50 50, it's buddy buddy, but then you get egos, you get inflated, you you get in the biz, and it's just a lot, and then it becomes like what you're saying. I mean, Luke Costello, I look at, I always thought of like Abbott and Costello as, you know, alphabetical order, a 
Abbott C. Costello. Like, um, and he, Costello lived a tragic life. Like, yep. Heart disease, all kinds of stuff, man. It was it one of his children, like, drowned? I got a young age. Yeah. They, 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 uh, they made a charity about uh, one over one of his uh, children that passed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let's, let's try to talk about better things, funnier things. Yes. You know, gravely amusing things. Mm. Um, but there was tension with these guys. That's important. So this film came out in 1948. Uh, Universal was doing very, very bad financially at this time. Uh, around 1946, they actually merged with international pitchers. And during this merger, they had to fire some headliners. One of these was Lon Chaney Jr., mm. <laughs> which is interesting. And now in 1945, 1947, around this time, they really only had Abin Costello as part of that merger deal on the payroll. Costello looked at the script for this movie and said, my five-year-old could write better. He didn't want to do it. He said it was stupid. (laughs) But they threw about $50,000 in advance at him. And he said, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll do it. Dude, $50,000 at that time? In 1948. Like, what? Did you do the math? Yeah, we got to do the math. Hold (laughs) on. I just, I think what's funny is like, neither Abbott or Costello wanted to do this movie. None of them. Yep. And they both made fun of it. Uh, But this is probably their most famous film. With, without a doubt. And this is the movie. That It'd be $624,149 and 38 cents today. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like over a thou- like almost a 1200 mil in an advance. You said in an advance. advance in advance. Yes, sir. What the hell? Like, yeah, I would have done it. It's a simple script, but it works and it's fun and everyone gets their time. And it like it it was the inter I think it's the entry point for so many people today to yep. uh, for Abbott Costello because I mean they have some good films, but this is classic. Like this is the one that people think of. It's definitely the one I think of. Like I had no idea how many like different monster, like introduced the monster movies that they did. And it all became as of this after so, this. And none of them were as good. No, 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 they weren't like, so this movie was supposed to have uh, uh Karis the mummy. It was supposed to have Dracula's son, Alucard. It was supposed to have the invisible man more prominently, but they were cut out except for a little tease with the visible man at the end, voiced by Vincent price. Mm hmm. Um, Jack Pierce was not used for makeup on this movie, which you is, can kind of tell. You can kind of tell. You can totally tell. If you're looking, you can see. Well, so Glenn Strange as Frankenstein's monster, his mask is all rubber. Mm-hmm. And that's something Jack would not have done. Mm-mm. But you, you can totally tell. Um, another interesting thing is this is Bella Lugosi's second and final role as Dracula for Universal Pictures. Which is, I think, what makes this movie even more powerful, Mm -hmm. what elevates this even better, 
And what is sad is because like you, we were talking about the other two films, the house of Frankenstein and house of Dracula. One of the biggest reasons I don't like them is because Lugosi's not there. It's yep. David Carradine. And he just, he's creepy, but he's not Dracula. He's not Dracula to me. And nope. one of the things that Lugosi said about this and that they did, and I respect the heck out of it is the monsters aren't funny. The monsters are played straight and serious like they would be in their own films Mm -hmm. it's bud and lou that are funny and i think that's part of let's be blank this is a horror comedy Mm -hmm. horror comedies are something that you and i both enjoy but they're hard to crack because you if you had the monsters playing goofy you'll lose it okay you lose the the horror element you lose the scare but having the monsters played straight and then Bud and Lou are the comic relief. That's the magic of this. And that that's what makes this movie work. You're absolutely right. That's what makes this movie work. Like, Bela Lugosi agreed to do it because exactly what you said. Because he's like, oh, I just get to scare the guys, but I'm taken serious, and my image and my legacy is not tarnished. Like, I get, like, you play me as serious Dracula. Mm, exactly. Um, like, yeah. I mean... For but for Bela Lugosi to play in Hollywood, like you know, it's not everybody could see the stage play <clears throat> that he did a bazillion times. But in Hollywood, he only played Dracula in the nineteen thirty one movie and in this movie, and like and and some notes from this from the set say that all the people that played monsters were awesome, but Abbott Costello were total a holes. Yeah. Like they wouldn't even show up sometimes. That's what I heard. Like I've read. Yeah. It's sad because this saved their career. Yep. You know, and most of the movies that I know of them for come after this. Yes. They did. They did some movie like called brave something brave. I don't know. Like the movie that cemented them as names originally was like Bree. Oh, I forget. I, I had it somewhere, but anywho, so what do you like about this film, Tyler? And what do you not like about this film? <clears throat> I think not like it <clears throat> is I think something I don't really. If I had to pick something to say, I don't like about this movie mm-hmm. is I kind of wish there had been more monster action at the end. And I feel like the Dr. Stevens character was not needed. He was just a waste of a character. Um, Agreed. But there's not anything I can pinpoint and say I don't like because this, um, you know, this movie real quick was when we started playing Horrified, the, the board game, you and I, and yeah. my kids were interested in the monsters. This was the movie I showed them. This is how I introduced my kids to the classic Universal Monsters was through this film because it is fun. So, like, there's nothing that I wouldn't say I, I don't like about it because I feel like even though Bud and Lou were a-holes, like on film, they brought it. When when it was rolling, they brought their their game. Absolutely. And there's so many like um great lines and like <laughs> you know, of just like back and forth between the two. Like it's great. I, I think my favorite part of the whole movie is when they're unloading they're unloading the crates at McDougal's or whatever. And and uh, Costello is like reading the the descriptions of everybody, 
and like Dracula's like open the coffin and teasing with him, and you get this like Abbott, Abbott, <laughs> you know, or uh, you know, and and this, it's just so the whole premise of this movie, by the way, <coughs> is that Dracula wants to be able to control Frankenstein's monster, so he is teamed up with an American doctor or or teamed up with Doctor Doctor the Lady Doctor, who's uh. and the Lady Doctor found Costello. And he's a moron. And if they put his brain in the Frankenstein monster, it would be more controllable. And that's what Dracula wants. So that's the whole idea. So, <clears throat> so this movie did two things that set precedent for future monster films and team ups. Can you guess what they are, Tyler? Like um. that, like it changed things forever. Two things. Well, I have my idea, but I don't know. It kind of, I, I was thinking it made the wolf, the werewolf versus the vampire kind of a big thing. Um, okay, that's the third thing. <coughs> that's, not, that's not what I had on my list, but that, yeah, definitely. It did set that up. Werewolf versus, you know, wolf. I don't know. Tell me. Okay. It made Dracula the definitive leader of monsters okay i can buy that and go with that yeah i see that because every movie after that dracula is like the leader the main threat the leader period the king of monsters whatever and it changed horror into something that was always taken seriously before into more comedic so it birthed the whole comedy this movie right here is what fully created the horror comedy genre. Well, it, like there was some comedy before, but this movie, this cemented it. This is what really created it. I can see that. I mean, it works. Absolutely. Like it's hilarious. It's got monsters played straight. It's well done. And but most people loved it. Most people enjoyed it. I know. I know I did. Oh. Brian, you know, you know this, and yeah, I know this, but does Dracula know this? That's what <laughs> that's what my favorite setups like I'll use in everyday common like I'll do to Jania sometime, like just whatever. Like but does Dracula that, know this? Just <laughs> so, so someone very important to us hated this movie. Can you take a guess who it was? You tell me I'm going to drive to their house, kick them in the nuts. Lon Chaney Jr. hated this movie. No. Rest in peace, Lon. That's cool, buddy. He said... I'll let it slide. Like, he took the paycheck. You know, he was part of it. He was a wolf man. But he said that he used to enjoy horror films when there was thought and sympathy involved. Then they became comedies. Abba and Costello ruined horror films. They made buffoons out of the monsters. See, I can understand that point of view, where he's coming from. But I think if if he could look back on it later in life, maybe he'd have a different idea. Because I don't see the, the monsters as buffoons. Like, I don't. I, I, I see the monsters played for being the monsters. And I still think the sympathy is there. Like, the thing I liked about this movie is... Uh -huh it shows Larry Talbot for being Larry Talbot. He's somebody who's accepted his fate is 
I can't die. I am cursed. So I'm going to use this curse for good. And we see that he's hunting Dracula. And that's where I fell more in love with the Wolfman was because he is a good man cursed. And that was what we talked about when we did our Wolfman episode is he's a good man who was cursed. And so he's using that to be, you know, a supernatural force against another supernatural force, even though he can't control his werewolf side. And I think that's why when you have the big battle between the Wolfman and Dracula, Mm -hmm. it still works. Yeah. And I mean, I can think of all the scenes like it it is, you know, very much. Yeah. The monsters are played straight, but, and that's why it works. Like, like when I saw this quote, I guess he's thinking about like how this movie and like every other one after it, like that or it's the mummy and it's the birth of something different. You know, he's, it's at the birth of the horror comedy and for something that had been for so long taken so straight and serious. Yeah, of just the horror pictures that all of a sudden now people are laughing. I can see where he could be upset with it. I mean, coming from his background with his father being who his father was and what he had accomplished in horror and in pictures and then him. So, I mean, I can understand it. And but I mean, this movie saved the careers of everybody that was in it like and universal and universal. Yeah. So. It's just funny how everyone kind of hated and was mad about it, but Bella Lugosi <laughs> and Glenn Strange. Um, yeah. And it's it's the movie that is most remembered and made everybody. People are weird. Money I mean, weird. they are. I think I think it kind of it could be one of those things that <clears throat> when you're doing the project, mm-hmm. you don't always see everything that you're doing until until like. You don't know the vision all the time or what's going on. And then when you sit back and you watch it completed and you see it, then you're like, now I get it. Speaking of movies that a different perspective was created many years after the movie came out, the next movie on our list. Can I say one thing real quick? Yes, dear. Did you know there's one shot of Frankenstein and Abbott and Costello that's not Glenn Strange? It's actually uh, Lon Chaney Jr.? No, I didn't know that. It's right before the um, when he's walking and gets set on fire. It's right in there. They had to do a pickup shot, and Glenn wasn't available because he got injured. And they just because of the size, the closest one was Lon Chaney Jr. And so they put him in the makeup. Uh, is that where? Oh, is that because Glenn an- injured his ankle? Yes, when he did like through the throwing the out the window scene. Yes. Oh, I did not know that. And then it's like a mannequin dummy that actually burns. But yeah, it's right in there. What can't, what couldn't Lon Chaney Jr. do? He, I mean, he played Alucard for, eh. he played the Frankenstein's monster, but he is forever will be the Wolfman. Well, okay, next good. movie. Let's do it. Next movie. Next movie. This movie, <clears throat> and all the movies that I love in this world, this movie is, de- is definitely in the top three. Like it's in the tippy top. I love this movie so much, so much. This movie probably cemented my love for monsters. Period. This mm. movie right here, 1987's The Monster Squad. And what's so funny about you saying that is on the reverse of everything you just said, 
is where I am because this movie I did not watch until like what two years ago we started it. Really? Or I had never seen for the first time two years ago with you. Yeah. Really? I introduced you to this movie? Yeah. It had oh, been that one of those, my, oh, that makes me so. It happy. had been one of those movies that I had always seen mm-hmm. and wanted to see. And then I just kept forgetting about it. Like either like it wasn't at the video store or wasn't on TV or it wasn't talked it was about. DVD. It, it was wasn't on TV. on DVD. Um, and then I remember you seeing it. Luck. And then I remember seeing it on DVD, but the cover art was so like childlike. Yeah. I didn't know if it was serious. And now I was in that phase where I was like, uh, I'm like an older teen, young adult. Like, no, not kid stuff, you know? So, but then like it had just become that thing like, oh, I want to watch this. I'll wait till next Halloween, you know? And I would forget. And it just kept getting pushed. And I would forget. And then you brought it up. And I was like, let's do this. Oh, so, okay. So two things that break my heart right now. And and the second thing I'm going to say is it's probably going to be a whole a whole podcast a whole BP and Defense podcast because it's mm. going to make you mad probably. <laughs> but the first thing is how Gen Zs don't know Universal Monsters. No. So when I talk to Trey, so Trey is 24 years old. He's our barometer. <laughs> no, Please. no, he yeah he he is he's a Gen Z. Brandon, we use, we is use him the as very a... last year for millennial to Gen Z. He's mm-hmm. that very last year. So, but Trey, big time. Trey, like Trey and Brandon, don't have never watched a black and white movie. Trey has never seen RoboCop. Oh, I yeah, I know. Trey has never watched any Universal movies. Neither does Brandon. Like, they don't know any of that. So. And they never watched Monster Squad. So I need to just have them over and, and just have like a movie marathon thing. But so they don't know Universal Monsters. Okay. This is the second thing. Yesterday, yesterday I said this to Trey and Brandon. And what Trey, what Brandon, what Trey said broke my freaking heart. Oh, no. And this is where I, this, this, this is going to make you mad. It made me mad. But the second part is going to make you really mad. So, so I sent them a picture of the dude playing Jimmy Olsen. And I said to Trey, score one for the redheads. Like, because every single redhead in Hollywood has usually changed, changed, you know, they've been recast as, as a black person. So for a redhead to be able to come back and be cast as a redhead, I was like, score one for you, you know, you redhead. Cool. He says to me, who the hell is Jimmy Olsen? Oh, oh, shit. And I was like, what? He's like, in all John Wesley ship name. What? The hell? <laughs> I know. He's like, who the hell is Jimmy Olsen? And I'm like, wait a second. And this is the part that's going to make you mad. <laughs> so I was like, wait a second. If he, okay. Tr- the only Superman that Trey and Brandon know is Henry Cavill. So, which makes me wonder now, me being the devil's advocate and evil person I am, did Man of Steel actually tarnish Superman's legacy? Pun intended. No. Yeah. I have my my theories about where the story is going to go. 
But there's a lot. Well, that's a whole other podcast that you said right there. But the biggest thing is they didn't get to finish and tell the story they had planned to tell. And things they got killed, they killed Jimmy Olsen. Like two- yeah, but but there's a lot of theory that he was just using that because there really is a real Jimmy Olsen. And that's why they cut the name was because he used that person's credentials to get in and that the real Jimmy Olsen is still out there. Um, but that story never got to, it to get, got to get told because they, you know, never finished up with the five movie plan, but it is what it is. But I, you know, the, the thing is there's so much that we as fans for that particular follow because we follow the TV sure. stuff too. Where if you're just looking at movies, yeah, that's not in that movie. And that's why I'm so conscious when I talk about like the movies not having like a take on a character, but trying to be the purest, best form of the character in its world, because that might be the only experience that somebody has with that character. Now, to bring it back to the monsters. Thank you. Needs to be um, done. Because we don't want to go to a Superman tangent. (laughs) uh, But they don't know these monsters. Well, here's the you and I've had this conversation that the the monsters that become popular in pop culture are the previous generation's horror. And we're at a yeah, time we where the the slashers and the like Chucky, Leatherface, Jason, Freddy are like now the popular and Michael are like the popular iconic horror, but they're becoming they're starting to become comical. Even in Michael's last film, which was all serious and everything, you see a lot of jokingly stuff in pop culture with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it'll be the next generation. So that's like where their horror history goes back to, where ours is back to the classic monsters, because that's where the previous generation um like had, you know, like it's it's weird because it's like I say previous almost like it skips a generation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like my parents grew up during the time, like, you know, they were teens in <clears throat> this, the seventies. So right. Yeah. At, you know, the end was the end of this. They graduated high school at the end of the, um, I'm doing the math at the end of the seventies and stuff. Um, yeah. You know, right at Halloween, you know, when Halloween came out and stuff. So they were young adults into the eighties. And so you have this concept where I feel like, like right now, Ghostface is starting to become more famous. That was kind of like something that was introduced to us when we were children. Yep. Like it was an original icon that was the first thing that got me interested in horror at the time. Like I li- I didn't like Michael or Jason or any of that stuff. I wasn't interested in that when I was a kid. But the Ghostface was an interesting concept and an interesting thing that pulled me into one um so same thing, I can, same and I can understand. I mean, the problem is, and I say this because <clears throat> Dracula has been watered down and made fun of so much and become such a joke that trying to do a serious vampire Dracula is difficult. Like they haven't been able to do a Dracula horror straight horror since when because the last dracula movies we got the last three i can think of that are dracula not vampire um dracula untold where they did a very kind of uh superhero kind of origin for dracula where he is a good guy um 
Renfield, horror comedy. You know, would have liked some more Nick Cage in that. Um, thought he did great except for the teeth. Um, and then we went and saw Voyage of the Demeter, where they didn't even give Dracula a character. He was just a monster the entire time. The closest thing that we've had, and I'm talking because you do kind of kind of keep TV and movies separate because of how a lot of times culture and people experience them was the BBC Dracula. That was the last time Dr- Dracula was scary. Yes. And then they kind of fumbled it at the end. Um, so the, the monsters that we love that are scary have been first. It's, it's like anything else. Like we talk about in a horror franchise starts out scary, but the more you do it, the comedy comes in. Look at Freddie, you know, and that's kind of where we are is they're, they have to make these, they're trying to make the eighties stuff scary again mm-hmm. and it's starting to have problems. And that's where I feel like the monsters fall is so many people don't take them as scary because they've become cartoonish. They've become, you know, child um, representations with mad monster party or count Chocula or, um, you know, Alvin and the chipmunks meet Frankenstein and the wolf fan. <laughs> They've done these kind of things where it's taken away from the the fearfulness of the monsters. Uh, that's why I like. I feel this movie is the perfect combination. Yes, I, I, it has just enough comedy, and it has just enough just enough scary stuff. So this film was written by Fred Decker and Shane Black. <laughs> Shane Black. Man. Shane Black, if you don't know, is the man who wrote Lethal Weapon. He's also directed, and did he write Predator as well? The Predator, yeah, yeah, the first Predator, yes, or yeah, yeah. Iron Man three. But he came back and directed the Predator, the Predator, the 2018 one. Yes, like Shane, real deal. Fred, real deal. Um, but this movie. This movie didn't do as well as it should have. The movie was released in August 1987. Why they didn't delay it to October, I'll never understand. <laughs> I really like, I just don't get it. You mean like Disney releasing uh, the Haunted Mansion in the middle of fucking July when they could release it in October and made a I didn't even finish of- the movie. I fell asleep I'm just, watching it. I'm just saying, like, if you would have released it, in, I'm just saying, like, it just like the Disney released Hocus Pocus in July. Back yes. in 92. What? Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. October, Continue. October, September, late September, October. I don't get it. But this movie was released the same time as Lost Boys. Ooh. I had Keeper Sutherland showed up to the debut of this movie to support it. <laughs> but but still, it, it came out around the same time as Lost Boys. It didn't stand a freaking chance. The promotional material... Um, no, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I wonder if it had come out a year earlier, right? Like before Lost Boys, if it would have done better, it would have killed it. So, Lost Boys heard it, August heard it, and check this out. So, did you? So, um, did you watch the Wolfman Got Nora documentary yet? No, okay. There's some good stuff in it, and then there's I just this haven't had time. It's okay, buddy. I love you. Okay, check this out. So some of the promotional material for this movie had wanted posters for the monsters. 
So like wanted Dracula, you know, for biting, whatever. On their on their wanted promotional for the mummy, it seriously said mummy wanted for satchatory rap. <laughs> I mean, it was the 80s. You get away with stuff. Oh like my that. god. And then I the mean, tagline strange. Like, the, the tagline for the movie wasn't very good. Like it said, who you know. Who gonna, we know who you'll call if you have ghosts. Who are you gonna call if you have monsters? Like yeah, like yeah. I, I but my thing is, I told you with this. To me, this property is the most prime property for a reboot. I have ideas. I know, I know you do, and we're we're gonna get there. I know, but I'm like, yeah. when we watch this, I said this should be remade. Like, because I'm not all about like remaking everything, but I feel like. If you took the Duffer Brothers, yep. like, could you imagine them writing and directing a movie, not a show, just do a movie, a reboot of this, and do it like we just talked about with Abbott Costello? You make the monster scary, but the kids are the humor, the heart, and the fun. And I mean, that's part of why I like it, Chapter One, so much, mm -hmm. was because Pennywise was scary, but yeah. the kids were enjoyable to be around. It chapter one was very, very good. Very good. Like, but this movie also suffered because it somewhat looked like a B movie sometimes, like with the promotional material too. It was released as PG-13. This is with the 80s. Like PG-13 just came out. Freaking yeah. Airplane was PG and it showed boobies. This movie was PG-13. See, that is, that is, yeah, that, that would hurt it because yep, you have this new rating that not everybody's on board with yet. Yep. And check this out in, in the UK, this movie was rated like 15. So what that means is anyone under the age of 15 cannot see this movie period, which is pretty much your demographic. Exactly. 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 They're all like 15. So till to this day, to this day, and they show this in the Wolfman's Got Nards documentary, to this day, a 15 year old kid, like 14 year old kids, 50, like anybody below four, four, 15, they can't see this movie. Even with a parent or guardian, they can't see this movie f f when it was in theaters. They can only watch it at home. Like, how insane is that? Like, nowadays, you know, Whatever the age of the kid is, as long as the parents there, they can go. In UK, they can't. Like, what the hell? So, Universal, Universal didn't do this film. So these aren't the, you know, these aren't the official Universal monsters, if you will. But they basically gave them permission to use use them, um, but they had to tweak them a little bit. So Universal completely owns, for example, the creature from the Black Lagoon. So here they had to call him Gilman, and they had to tweak him. So they tweaked the look of him into more of a piranha. And the <coughs> Gilman was so impressive. That makeup job on the Gilman, this movie, so impressive that the people that worked on him got a last-minute job to finish up the makeup effects for Predator. And years later, like 20-some years later, because someone saw their work on Monster Squad, they got hired to do the suit by Gil uh, for Shape of Water for Gil. Nice, Gilmore. nice. Like 
that's how big it was. So I want your thoughts on the teams here, Tyler. Okay. So let's start with the good guys. Okay. So Sean, our leader, Sean, Stephen King rule shirt. What do you think about Sean? Your pros and cons. I think he's he's good, but I'm gonna say this about kind of all the characters. Sure. I feel like in some ways they don't stand out on their own. They feel like almost watered down versions of characters from other movies. Mm. And and I don't mean that disrespectful or like I'm not against it, but I feel like they were trying to make the Monster Squad the Goonies. Yes. Yes. Because, because Sean the Goonies very much. I'm I'm drawing a blank right now, but Sean reminds me of the Sean Ashton yep. character from Goonies. I'm drawing a blank on it. I'm not a I, I like Goonies, but I don't like love Goonies like some people do. Sure. So like I, I don't have all the quick Goonie references, people. I appreciate Goonies, <laughs> but I couldn't give you references. I mean Chunk, right? That's his name. And Chunk. Data. <laughs> who I totally forgot was short round. So, yeah, I'm about to say like I I know the actors, Josh Brolin, uh, <laughs> you know Thanos like, is in there. Yeah, Thanos, uh, the Hobbit, you know Sam Samwise, uh, <laughs> the true hero of the story. Yes, the true hero of the story. But um, so what do you like? Who is like? What do you think about like Phoebe, Eugene, Patrick? Like, okay, so who's your favorite? Who's your favorite? Monster Squad hero, and who do who do you like the least? I don't know if I have a favorite because I, I feel like they work as a unit and they don't have like enough defined. You know, I mean, they call the the, you know, instead of chunk, they just call him Fat Kid. Like, how bland is that? Hey, Fat Kid. Like, not even a well, nickname or anything. His right, name saying, like, is Horace. See, Horace is cool. Why don't they just call him like you know something else? But like Fat Kid. I'm like, well, that's the whole part of the more. movie, man, is that everybody calls him fat kid, makes fun of him. And but why not call him like tubby or fatty or like slappy or I don't know. Like what I'm saying in Goonies, they called him chunk, yeah. which is kind of like a, a nicknamey thing here. They're just like, Hey, fat kid. So, I understand, I don't but like I, but at, the, at the end, that pivotal scene, that pivotal scene where he has a shotgun, Gilman's coming after him. And the kids, the bully that him earlier and ripped his comic book are hiding in the comic book store and they don't know what the hell to do. And Horace pulls out that shotgun and he blows the gill man away. And then they come out and say, hey, fat kid, thanks for saving us. And he pumps that shotgun and says, my name is Horace. Badass. I mean, it's great. It is. It is totally. But I'm just I'm just saying with the writing that they could have like given something because then like once again, like you're such a sticky bitch sometimes. But okay, think about marketing. <laughs> marketing, the concept of hey, fat kid. I know they can't do it today. You can't do it today. You can't. But I'm just saying, like, it's a generic phrase, as well as hey, chunk. If I say that, like, you might think back, you know. It's true. Goonies marketed so, better. I'm just I'm just saying that from like a creative point. Like truffle shuffle. Uh, right. But I don't know. I, I just I like the characters. But I don't think there's one that really like pops and I'm like, oh, that's the best one. They, I enjoy them all to a point. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I like this movie, mm-hmm. but I want to love this movie. You have to watch it a few more times. And I feel like, yes, I feel like I would fall in love with it more. But I feel like if I would have grown up with it more like you did, yeah, I, did. I would love it. But seeing it now, 
I'm like, oh, I like that. But I, I kind of get the sense of what it could be more than when you. Okay, you're breaking my heart. We're going to move on. We're gonna move no, on. no. I, 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 I love. I I friends. <laughs> Just... <laughs> All right. The bad guys. Thoughts. Gilman, go. Love it. The best version of the Gilman? Yes. Correct. The mummy. It's good. 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 Yeah. I like that they made him skinny and small <laughs> and give yeah. him a different look. The Wolfman. I I like it because it starts out as a guy yep. who's afflicted. And we don't and we don't and once again, he could be a good guy. We don't know, but he's afflicted and kind of being controlled by Dracula. So like it works. My only con my only con my only con about it is I feel his face is too wide. Well his that eyes goes too far apart. That yeah. That goes back to him having more of that wolf werewolf look. Sure. And not having as much of like the wolf, like man, because that's more of like what Universal owns, which I find interesting because we'll talk about that with another monster. Um, so Frankenstein. Well, okay, here's the other one. So much of what we think of as Frankenstein comes from that Boris Karloff look. Yep. That it's surprising to me how anybody like doesn't get sued constantly from. <laughs> About yeah. the look, you know, I mean, even Herman Munster got away with stuff. Like, how did that not get sued? Um, but th- this, the way to shoes, big time. So this, I like him. I think it works. It's still, like you said, it's not universal, but it's close enough that it feels like it is. Okay. All right. All right. Duncan Rager as Dracula. He's not bad, but I, I like him, (laughs) but I feel like it, this is that area where Dracula is starting to become a parody and it's almost like someone's doing impression. Like his, he looks like he's trying to copy Lugosi, but he does really well. I mean, I like him. I mean, what's your take? I want to be scared of Dracula and I'm not really like scared here of Dracula. Oh my gosh, dude. He's creepy, but I don't know. I'm not. Duncan does not F around. He does not F around in this movie. I watched it again for the bazillion time last night. And Duncan does. N- you got to watch the Wolfman Gaston's documentary. I, th- I got Duncan it. Duncan does not mess around. <laughs> okay. So, by the way, he beat Liam Neeson for this role. Liam That's Neeson was unknown. He beat Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson was supposed to be in the movie as Dracula's like human illusion. Ooh, and but they they cut that. Duncan to me might be the definitive Dracula because he's freaking terrifying. All right, I'll go watch it. I'll watch it on Thanksgiving. He's terrifying. Here. So so when he picks up Phoebe, mm-hmm. so they so when Fr- Fred Decker goes to the the girl that played Phoebe and says to her that okay, so Duncan is so in this next scene you're going to scream. Duncan is going to scare you. And she's like, well, when do I know to scream? You'll know. And it's the scene. It's the scene where, where he picks her up at the end and picks her up by the throat and Mm -hmm. looks her in the eyes and his eyes go red and the fangs come. And he's like, give me the amulet, you bitch. And then she screams like, like I watched and I studied Duncan the whole time. Duncan's movements, 
like okay there okay there are times where he can there he can be a little campy when he says nobody will stop us whatever but like his mannerisms and especially how he walks in that end scene to get to Phoebe and people are trying to stop him and he's just snapping necks breaking arms and just walking at like a slow speed like a madman possessed he does not mess around and it made him scary it was scary um yeah but whatever, whatever. Okay. So I love this movie. And we, well, since we watched it, since I showed it to you, you know, we've been talking about like remakes and, you know, you have your own podcast on your Patreon, Requel. All right. So the problem with my life sometimes is that I come up with these creative ideas and I'm working and then they get stopped by distractions, animals at work, whatever. So my, when I'm in the zone, I lose it. So this is me probably partially being in the zone and then just kind of probably losing it near the end. But I'm telling you, I got an idea here. It's a good one. Bring it. Okay. Bring it. This is my idea for a week rule of monster squad. And I think it's something special. Okay. So it is 2027. Is 40 years after Monster Squad. Okay. The poor. So try to remember as much as you can about Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. So this is Monster Squad is pretty fresh in my mind. So the movie was meant to be filmed in Louisiana. It was meant to take place in Louisiana, but they didn't officially say it was Louisiana. Okay. So whatever. So the portal has opened 40 years later and spits out the amulet in a new location. So that's why the amulet was not in Transylvania and was in Louisiana. Every time the portal opens, it spits it in a new location. Okay. So we go to adult Phoebe waking from a dream where Frankenstein is calling to her and she sees flashes of the amulet's location. Her daughter walks in wondering if she's okay. Phoebe says, yes, she's just seeing monsters again. Her daughter asks again how she saved the world with Uncle Sean. The daughter loves monsters. Phoebe is suffering. Now, Phoebe's in her 40s now. Phoebe is suffering from PTSD from losing Frank, Frankenstein, Scraps, who is like her guardian as a child, and Dracula trying to kill her as a kid all those years ago. We find out she's divorced. Her husband left her because she's a detached person. So she doesn't attach to people anymore. Her PTSD is too much. Sean visits her and secretly encourages Phoebe's daughter with monsters. Because Phoebe's daughter is like, my mom, you know, saved the world. She defeated these monsters. So she's obsessed with it. And Sean encourages that because Sean still loves monsters. The daughter, who we'll call Mary. (laughs) Part of it, you can see where I went on the tangents and my mind drifted. But anyway, Mary the daughter uh, has her own monster squad now and she meets in the library to keep it secret from her mom. Her friends like newer monsters like Freddy, Jason and the terrifier guy. But Mary is obsessed with Frankenstein and classic monsters. Their librarian has a German accent and encourages the, the monster club too. And she crushes on Sean when he takes Mary to the, to the, to the library. Sean uh, is just oblivious to it. 
Sean then starts having nightmares of Dracula. We find out that Sean is a writer of horror novels, but he hasn't published anything in a long time. We find out that Patrick and Eugene and Horace, so Patrick was his best friend, and Eugene and Horace had moved away after the attack. So their parents got him out of town, got him away. Mm. They felt Sean was a bad influence. So they got him out of there. Uh, I did this mainly because the actor that plays Patrick and the actors that play Eugene are not part of the new resurgence tour. They weren't shown in the documentary. They don't seem to be a part of it. Um, and also Horace, the actor that played Horace, uh, he passed away um, mm-hmm. 10 years after the movie was made from pneumonia. Oh, geez. Um, so, and in the documentary, they do a nice tribute to, uh, to him. I forget his name, um, but yeah, he passed away. So Sean has been very alone, but he stays close to Phoebe to help her with her, with Mary. And because he feels responsible for PTSD. So he feels his obsession with monsters has basically ruined his family, but he still loves monsters and he still believes that monsters will come back one day. Mm. So the, also because of Phoebe's PTSD, their parents actually did split up because they couldn't handle Phoebe's trauma. And the dad and Sean kind of like acted like everything was okay. Like everything is going to be okay. And then the dad went back into the job because of the threats. So anywho, uh, Sean gets a call from Rudy after all these years. Rudy is now a family man married to Patrick's sister, who was the version in the first movie. Mm. And he's a family man. And he's basically having a midlife crisis. He misses being a badass. Rudy and Sean meet up. And we find out that Rudy has been having nightmares and monsters as well. And seeing the wolf man that he killed all those years ago. Phoebe shows up and joins them at the diner for those three. And she reveals that she's been seeing Frankenstein and visions of this amulet. They decide to seek out the amulet and try to get it before anyone else can. Meanwhile, Mary's new monster squad consists of her best friend, Bella, who is named after Twilight character and is ironically obsessed with monsters as well. They have an introverted boy named Victor uh, who doesn't, I might change that name. Uh, he, He doesn't make friends easy, but he's a genius kid and he will make weapons for them to fight monsters eventually. Uh, There's a jock kid, and he's basically the Victor character's brother. I'm going to name him Abe, or Bram for short. Intentional names, as you can tell. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. And Anne's sister, uh, so yeah, Anne's sister is Lori, who's like a dumb, blonde moron who obsesses over serial killers. Like a typical, like, white pumpkin spice chick. Her nickname in in the movie would be Pumpkin Spice. Nice. Um, the lost while at the library, they've been researching the talisman and what happened 40 years ago. Because if monsters really exist, where do these monsters come from? <coughs> it's revealed that through research and dreams, that the amulet is actually in Scotland. Which I might I might change this, but uh, it's in Scotland. We're going to put it in okay. Scotland. Okay? And the amulet was created by Dr. Jekyll. Ooh. who was a pupil of Van Helsing. It was The amulet was created 
in a, as a way to control the nature of man and monster, to separate good and evil permanently. When Jekyll made it, he disappeared, and he has been missing ever since. So hundreds of years ago, no one knows what happened to Jekyll. He just disappeared. As a team searches for the ambulance in Scotland or across Europe, wherever I decide, uh, they are searching for Jekyll's original notes of how the ambulance was made and basically trying to find a way to track it to see where the heck it is. As they're doing this, they run into the visible man and what seems to be a new wolf man, only older looking. This is where I think this is where the break in my writing probably mm. went off. <laughs> but the visible man is trying to stop them from getting the amulet. The visible man gets away when the wolf man fights him. The wolf man can see the invisible man in the dark because he's, he's a wolf. Wolves can see in the dark better. The wolfman changes as sunrise comes, and it is revealed that he is the original wolfman. <clears throat> he was an American student of Van Helsing. So along with Jekyll, Victor Frankenstein, an Egyptian named Karis, Griffin, the invisible man, and a Romanian nobleman named Vlad Tempest. All six men were mad with ambition and they were students of Van Helsing's methods and teaching. So they knew Van Helsing was like the best of the best teacher in chemistry and science and everything and a love for folklore. So these men studied under Van Helsing as the best of the best. Maybe it'll be some school and they just they just happen to be students. I don't know. I'm just just roll with me. Okay. The name of that wolfman is Talbot. So his so Talbot just wanted to study the stars. He just wanted to study the stars at that college. And so I'll probably make it like Van Helsing was just a teacher there and they were all part of this school, whatever. In Did you school. say they were all part of a club, a monster club? Yeah, that's in my notes too. So they were part of the, they were the original monster club. Thank you. Thank you for that. That was going to be a reveal that was going to come later, but God damn. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm on the page with you. So, see, see how sync we are. Like, so, I, I, my man. So, <clears throat> so the original monster squad. Yes. Or monster club. Talbot wanted to say the stars because, you know, the telescope thing. Um, his classmates had more frightening ambitions. Chorus, the Egyptian guy, and Victor were obsessed with bringing back the dead. Griffin was an albino, and he was obsessed with optics, chemistry, and ancient magic or alchemy, and uh, mainly illusions. Jekyll was obsessed with Van Helsing's stories of monsters, and he claimed that through his adventures with Van Helsing, that he feels that a demon somehow attached to him. He always felt like something was attached to him and wanted to come out. As for Vlad, no one knows what Vlad wanted. He was a ladies' man. He was a man of great taste. And he listened intensely to Van Helsing. And he was extremely interested in the research. But one day, Jekyll said to everybody, I found a way to capture evil, to separate it completely. He shows them a demonstration. And he speaks in German to impress Van Helsing or whatever. Something went very wrong. Skinner turns invisible and Talbot and everybody gets sucked into this portal. 
And all, all Talbot sees is that Skinner went invisible. That's how he knows that there's an invisible man out there. He doesn't know what happened to anybody else. He gets sucked in and he gets shot out into the woods somewhere. And a few nights later, he turns into a wolf. Doesn't know why. He spent all these times trying to find his friends and what happened. And he hears that basically something happened in Louisiana back in America. So anyway, they eventually find the amulet. And a portal is opened with vampires, a new gill man, a new mummy, and Dracula's there. Dracula reveals that the portal is open now because of Frankenstein and Van Helsing being sucked into the portal mm-hmm. at the end of the movie 40 years ago. <clears throat> so Phoebe infected Frankenstein with good and Van Helsing was there. The portal cannot take in any good because it flow it's it flows off it 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 takes off the balance. Okay. Okay. So so they blew it again. So that's why the portal opened before a hundred years were were gone. Because when it sucked in, it sucked in good. The portal can it has to be separate. It can only take evil. So um yeah, Talbot changes and we get this battle with the Wolfman and the new monster squads versus Dracula, the mummy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the fight looks in the new squad's favor, but then the amulet starts closing stuff up again. And then all of a sudden, Mr. Hyde shows up and throws the kids into the portal. The movie ends with the kids trapped in limbo and Van Helsing showing up. Hmm. The third movie, <coughs> so you have third to have movie, the finale, if you will, will basically be these kids in limbo um, fighting and learning the birthplace of monsters and all this stuff while Sean, Phoebe, and Rudy go to Transylvania for this final battle with Dracula and evil and all this stuff. And that's where I'm at. What do you think? It's layered. For sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Copyright Man Child Productions 2023. I like that you're doing you're going for a sequel. I just I'm wondering if there's too much to tackle. It is a lot to tackle. Because there's a lot of questions that that movie made for me. Where did Samuel come from? Like, and see, I would almost say with, your, was in with your pitch, with your pitch, I would almost say that should be a mini series. Yeah, I could do it. Because I feel like I feel like if if you were going to go with your pitch, I think a good six episodes would work. That could give you six hours to work with developing the story to really flesh out the characters to 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 reintroduce the old characters you know, to a new audience to build up the new characters and to get in the mythology of the monsters. I think you're right. But I do, I think I got something. But I, I think, think the miniseries is the best way to go. I think you're right. <clears throat> now, I think, I think if you, I still, I think this property, I think like with Stranger Things ending, like this has that similar flavor. 
that I feel like yeah. this should have been rebooted. And if if Universal bought the rights and rebooted this thing themselves and used my this, bought my script, just <laughs> you know, redid the the first Monster Squad film. Yeah, but do it in a way with their monsters proper, and that's how they build their dark universe. Absolutely, because you're you're hooking in, on the, you're hooking in the young kids by making it about the young kids. <clears throat> I'd hook these kids. I'd hook them, and like, and I just like I like the idea. I like the idea of the monsters, the actual monsters being a squad. Yeah. Like the original, yeah. original. And so. like, and that they like, they had different ideas and different things that they wanted to do. Um, I even thought like, so, so the portal, like the portal being able to change people. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'll get, play, I'll get into it. I mean, you could play around with the fact that the portal opening and connecting with people or, you know, you could say something like getting Dark sucked into the portal, inside. but makes, yeah, like what but being pulled into the portal creates the monster inside you or something. Yes, that's exa- yeah, that's what I'm going with. Yeah. And then when you come back, you are the monster that it created. So I don't know. Yeah. And like Vlad... Because the portal is a very interesting concept that's built into Monster Squad. <coughs> like, that's a Monster Squad thing. So you can't ignore it. You have to work with it. Got to work with the mythology, son. Speaking of mythology created, the last movie that had all these monsters in was was a mess. Mm, yes. And it was a mess that was created by a man that I love very much is if you listen to my mommy podcast, he had a great career. He has a great creative mind and he created the mummy. Steven Summers created the mummy and like five years to the day dropped this movie called Van Helsing. And it didn't deliver. No. And I think part of it is it goes back. Okay. This this could be its own whole podcast. So I will try to keep this short. Um, <laughs> it will eventually probably be its own podcast. It should be because this is a movie that I like, but I want to love. Like I wanted to love this movie. I was so freaking excited. Um, yep, 20, you have a so excited. Okay, so once again, the trick is playing the monster serious, and you have a comical Dracula. At times, I hate this Dracula. Um, hate it. I, I think you love. Was, it, but I, hate it. <laughs> I I appreciate doing something different with Dracula, but once again, you know, I had so many talks about what Universal's Dracula is. Yep, and this is not it. You have them doing over the top accents. Yep. Um, you, C- Carl, should have been your comedy. Everyone else should have been straight. You convolute Van Helsing's character, period, and make his backstory ridiculous. Okay, that's yep. you make a dumbass plot about Dracula when to have kids and bring his dead children to life. Freaking hate it. Then, um, 
Lay it on me. Lay it on me, bro. So you you have the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde scene. We talked about this a little bit about Hyde being this like gorilla looking dude. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Hugh Jackman, but I wish he would have played it less like he's trying to be an Indiana Jones guy and made Van Helsing more of a person like well, I felt like he was trying to make him a little bit more James Bond. Yeah, I can I can see it both like make him if you're going to do like give him a name, first of all, because he shouldn't be Abraham Van Helsing. If we're going to do, do it like they did in this movie, he should be like, give him another biblical name. Okay. Van but, Helsing. No, it's Gabriel. Wasn't right. Yeah. But they try to say he was the angel Gabriel later. Like, I no, I don't think his name was Abraham. I no, it wasn't was Gabriel from the beginning. Right. They never call him that till Dracula calls him Gabriel because he says he's Gabriel, the archangel. My apologies. Okay. So yeah. that's what I'm like. He should have been named Gabriel. That's fine. Sure. And then he has a son named Abraham. And like the idea is this is how that this Abraham then becomes like the book learner while his father was more of like the action guy. Oh, I see um, where you're going here. You get what I'm saying? Like, okay. so I hated the idea. They try to say that he was a fallen angel cast out by God and, you know, is repentant. No, that was all stupid backstory. Like they mucked up so much story. Okay. Dracula's brides were sweet. They were the creepiest thing in this movie. I don't like him being harpies. I, I don't. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Like, I don't. I don't like it because when Dracula transforms into the bat creature, like he transforms just like them, but where did their clothes go? Like their clothes are not their skin, but their clothes transform with him. Yep. Um, but like I said, Dracula's brides are the creepiest things in this movie. Um, <coughs> this is not the Wolfman. This is a werewolf. Correct. We've, I'm not even going to go into the explanation. Go back and listen to our Wolfman podcast episode about what that means. So this is just a regular werewolf. I hate the idea that they turn into a werewolf only under direct moonlight. Uh So you have a scene where, and I don't know, not in his flesh. I was getting there and going up the wall, like backwards. Like, I don't like I don't like the idea that, yeah, the wolf is growing inside and they tear their, their skin off. And then they're a wolf. Don't like that at all. Um, I don't like how like, Oh no, the clouds cover the moon. So now I'm not a werewolf. Oh, the clouds moved. I'm back to being a wolf. I don't like the concept of the of the direct moonlight. Because if that was the case, you would just stay inside the whole time. Yep. In a room without windows and you'd be fine. <coughs> so there are so many elements of just having the three in here that I want. Now, the Frankenstein monster, on the other hand, I thought I did pretty well with. Because it's a little bit more Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, where he's like, a I think I think the opening of this movie is done very well. You know, it's a callback to the original Frankenstein, the villagers and stuff. Frankenstein's monster, like holding the body of Victor, and like, you know, crying be- over it. His father, like, yeah. Whoa. Whoa. And then Igor like Whoa. doesn't give a crap and like betrays him, but then he That's walks awesome. outside and he's like, Doctor Frankenstein. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Igor, Igor, Igor was a little weird in this movie, but he wasn't a hunchback. Like he, he wasn't meant to I, be. 
I told you like my pitch for this man. My thing is you shouldn't have made it Dracula. It should have been Abraham Van Helsing's father. Okay. Yeah. This is his, when he first starts monster hunting. Sure. He can work for the church. That's fine. That's kind of cool. All right. Monster hunter for the church. Fine. And then you can build a whole universe where later on he has a kid. He parts with the church or whatever. And it should have just been a vampire or one of the brides. You know, the idea that Dracula's brides get changed out is an interesting concept. Um, but it should have been like they were hunting a bride. And like the idea that Dracula is out there. He's the Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, or like he just hunts a vampire. And this is his first encounter learning what a vampire is um, and discovering this. And I, I like your concept. I like it being like this movie's Gabriel. <coughs> He's the father. The movie ends with him having the son and like whatever. And yeah. like the son will go for Dracula in the future. Right. Like I like that. The idea that the son will eventually find the evil his father was and his son goes a different route. His father was a man of action and Abraham becomes a man of science and knowledge and, and kind of follows like you could look at with the character of Carl. You could say that Carl leaves the church. You know, he, he wants to live a life and Carl is kind of that that mind that becomes like Uncle Carl and Abraham admires Carl. Oh, wait, would you would you kill Gabriel and have Carl raise this the kid? Or maybe 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 Abraham was just a little boy in this movie. I don't know. I'd have to workshop that more. Sure. Um, but you know, the concept is this is the story of how the Van Helsing name becomes feared by monsters. Yeah. And how the name, because remember in Dracula, he says Van Helsing, a name that I have known even in the remote parts of Transylvania. Like, so that Dracula himself was aware of this name. Like the name carries weight. Um, I hated that the only way to kill a vampire is by a werewolf. So the werewolf has to bite that. I hated that. That was stupid. The fact that, you know, Van Helsing <coughs> becomes a werewolf and then him and Dracula battle and he has to get turned back. No, no. I liked, I mean, everything being an angel was stupid was more than enough. <laughs> um, was stupid enough. Um, I, everything with the Frankenstein monster I'm on board with. Sure. The concept that the Frankenstein monster is caught between good and evil because everyone perceives him to be evil, but he's actually good. He's not evil. He's a good creature and that Van Helsing won't kill him because he only kills evil. Great. Great. Um, but yeah, there was just, there was too much to try to do all three movies. I mean, I'm sorry, all three monsters. Um, when you're reestablishing everything. You're you're introducing this new concept. You're introducing everything, and you're doing it. You know, you go back and you watch the Mummy. The Mummy is great. The Mummy Two is an action film. Like the first Mummy movie's got more horror in it. The second Mummy movie is more of an action film. And I feel like this they wanted to be a horror action movie, and it just didn't find its stride. <coughs> There's it did too much. It made it way too convoluted, way too. It would have been, you know how you make it simple? You know, Van Helsing goes to this village. They have a vampire. Okay. He takes Carl with him from the monastery. Okay. 
Carl is actually a werewolf, and that's why he lives at the monastery. Hmm. And and he's pledged his life to the church. It's because they're trying to help him control what's inside of him. And Van Helsing doesn't know that, and that's why they're hesitant to have Carl go. But like Carl, sneaks I can't out be a on, field man. I'm not a field man. Yeah, I can't and go out there. He sneaks out on his own because he wants to be out and helping because he knows he can do it. And so that becomes part of the problem is now, you know, Carl goes back to that good man cursed. If you're going to do the wolf man, good man cursed. So Carl can be your wolf man. Okay. And it's a surprise. Like it's a twist, you know, because when, you know, they're not there until the full moon and then one of the nights they are there, like they map, like Carl maps it out, but then something got screwed up that he missed. He made a miscalculation. So like the last night they're there, the moon changes to it's a full moon and then he transforms um and you know the whole like the valer <laughs> the gypsies um you know the romani gypsies i'll say gypsies because that's what they are in the movie um you know being the ones hunting dracula and having the really f- thick accents no i almost felt like it felt too fake wh- okay when did pirates when did pirates of the caribbean come out black pearl <laughs> 2003 or four 2003 i think was it before this oh yeah because that's i'm watching this dracula in here and I, like i kind of feel like he's trying to be i kind of feel like he's trying to be jeffrey rush in pirates at times yeah so van helsing was 04 um i want to see pirates was maybe 2002 2003 it's 2003 boom there you go that's it took everything Jeffrey Rush did as Barbosa and then he's just like I'm a gypsy and I'm Dracula. <laughs> if this had been its own thing, like if this Dracula had been its own thing, yeah, it was just Dracula versus a vampire hunter, it would have been more entertaining because it was such a bizarre different take on Dracula. Mm-hmm. But to be universal Dracula, no. And and. <sighs> You 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 don't give the Frankenstein monster enough to do. Yeah, he he represents a different kind of duality, much like the Wolfman. Dracula has to represent pure evil. Um, but yeah, the subplot about him bringing his kids to life—stupid. St- I mean, I'll I'll just say it like, and it was a big let. And I remember we went and saw it, me and my brother, and we came out of the theater, and I was just like pissed. Cause like I wanted to love this movie and I was, and then I like, I bought it on DVD when it came out. Cause I'm like, okay, I'll give it another try. Mm-hmm. And I was pissed. <laughs> and I still, if I watch it now, like I own it. Cause Jania really likes it too, but she has a lot of the same problems I do. Um, <laughs> but not as, not as to the extent that I do. I get frustrated I with it because I just, I just, I expected more from this film. <laughs> if, if summer's, <laughs> If Summers had taken his time and really thought it through and started to build, I mean, the the cinematic universe or sequels or whatever is not something that's uncommon to the monsters. So the fact that they could have taken the time to, to build out, okay, this is Van Helsing versus a vampire. This is Van Helsing versus a werewolf. Or, you know, or like it would have been neat if it had opened with him hunting a, a monster and not hunting Mister Hyde. 
What if he was? What if he? What if in this movie he was actually facing Dorian Gray? And what if Dorian Gray was like the Jack the Ripper killer? That would be cool. I mean, but or Jack the Ripper killer. The, then we're almost getting into like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen territory. You know, like all right, all right, all right. that's you know, with too many literary ca- characters. That's why I'm kind of like the Mr. Hyde thing. I'm like, okay. But at the same time, like, I mean, Universal has done Mr. Hyde, but I don't know. I would have found a different monster to open it up with, with him killing. It's it's a it's a tough call. It's it's like yeah, it's tough. Like when I was when I was writing that that idea for Monster Squad, I was trying to think what monsters didn't we use? No, I don't want to use Fan of the Opera. I don't want to use a Hunchback. Okay, <laughs> we didn't use the Visible Man. He was missing. Okay, boom. Yeah, throw him in the, there. The Phantom and the Hunchback are so like interesting and like to me. The hunchback would be kind of like if you were doing like a society, much like if you were in Van Helsing, the hunchback could be someone that's like the hunchback that the class that lives at the church mm-hmm. where the the base is, you know, in Rome, where they're based out of the the society that hunts monsters, you know, that um, Van Helsing works for. Um, <coughs> if you wanted to do that, I mean, that was. And we talked about this, and I won't go into detail, but the idea that Mr. Dr. Jekyll was like one of the people who were running the show of whatever that was going to be for the Mummy Dark Universe was interesting. That was very interesting. But it, it didn't work, and no. you can hear us talk about that on the Dr. Jekyll podcast. Yes. Um, but, I mean, I, could, I would love a new Van Helsing. I mean, originally... Tom Cruise was attached to do a Van Helsing remake, which then rolled into being the mummy. I didn't know that. Cause I remember when oh. that was announced and I was reading about that cause they were going to bring it back. And I think the idea of a, a movie series about a monster hunter would be awesome, you know, but I think doing all three monsters in the same film without having any pre-existing context is difficult now it works in monster squad the way they did it yes abbott and costello worked because you already had the monster movies but in van helsing i thought you're introducing a whole new lore and you're doing a <coughs> a different kind of story and i too felt much. like it was just it was too much yeah. um so i feel like with any film you have to do it i think to do it most satisfying if you're if you're if your protagonist is going to have this convoluted story your villains need to be more simplistic. If your villain is going to have more of the convoluted um, story and history, your protagonist needs to be more simplistic or it needs to be the sequel where we already know who the protagonist is. That makes sense. That's fair. So that we can spend the right amount of time getting acquainted to this version. I hope that, I hope that when they do this new Wolfman movie, with Ryan Gosling or, or whatnot. I hope that it's awesome. I hope it does so well. I hope it starts them thinking about a uh, universal universe again. Um, I hope so. Um, Cause Ryan Gosling ain't bad and he could really pull it off. He could. I mean, 
I, I am very interested. Like I hold my breath just because like we have talked about, True. I have what I consider the wolf man and why the wolf man is different than a werewolf. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see how they do it. <coughs> so real quick to wrap this up. Okay. Out of these three films, which one did it best? Adam Costello. I mean, I, I feel like there's an argument for Abbott Costello and for Monster Squad. I feel like if you said Van Helsing, you're wrong. <coughs> so, but yeah, I, I go with Abbott Costello because we already have the established monsters. Mm-hmm. We're introducing the monsters together and it makes sense. It feels like a, the next chapter in that series. And you play the monster straight and then you add in the humor of Adam Costello, which makes it a much more enjoyable time. Uh, your answer is correct. As much as I love Monster Squad, your answer is correct. Word. Because it pulls in it pulls in that mythology. It's already stuff already set up. We know who Dracula is. We know who Wolfman is. We know who Frankenstein is. It works. And you don't have to you don't add in <laughs> extra mythology. Like it's already established. Uh, Monster Squad, you know, with the amulet and stuff, adds in more extra mythology, and you know, then, well, you know what I mean. But the movie, yeah. the, the movie's great. Um, I want to thank you for joining me for this season finale. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, thinking about where season two will go, and honestly, uh, everybody's just gonna have to wait for the trailer. <laughs> Dum, dum, dum. I'll tell you personally where I'm going. Sweet. All the listeners will have to wait. Um, but I thought this season, I thought the season was pretty fun. You know, it was, it was, it was my first podcast I ever did uh, all by myself. And uh, I sure learned a whole crap load. And uh, well, we all have enjoyed it as both a guest and as a listener. Thanks, buddy. You're welcome. I appreciate it. Like, I, I I like being able to discuss the uh, horror stuff with you and and all that. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, listeners will grow as this grows. You know, it's it's still a baby right now. Um, so if you like my podcast, make sure you tell your friends. Make sure you you download. Make sure you follow it. Um, make sure you reach out to me at uh, on X at Gravely Amusing, Facebook at Gravely Amusing, Instagram at Gravely Amusing. Everything gravely amusing, you can find me. You can also find Tyler at Krypton Report. Everything, mm-hmm. yes, on everything. This man's on everything. Um, and uh, yeah, and you uh, and James, you can find James at at Superman Red, your co-host. Yep. Um, and uh, tune in to more Krypton Report and Superman stuff. Um, as we have like Aquaman, we have all this great stuff coming out. I know they're going to be talking about uh, some casting with Superman Legacy pretty soon. Uh, a whole bunch of Aquaman stuff. Uh, BP and the Finch is definitely going to be talking about Aquaman as well. And we're going to be talking about some Invincible coming up in a couple of days. Uh, very exciting stuff come. And Gravely Amusing is definitely probably going to do a Godzilla episode pretty soon because my mind is very much on Godzilla right now, as I'm sure Tyler's is as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm probably going to drop like a little... Uh, little special here and there so about godzilla 
So anywho, thank you very much, listeners. Thank you very much, Tyler. I hope that you were thrilled. I hope that I horrified you this season. I hope I educated you. But if anything, I hope I left you gravely amused. Good night, everybody.